We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. We are uh, we, we spent some time uh, a couple of weeks ago talking about um, uh, Midrashim, uh, about the nature of the tree of life, and now we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about the, the nature of the tree of knowledge, what kind of tree it was. Um, you know, it's interesting uh, that, uh, that that both the um, that both for the tree of life and the tree of knowledge, you know, it would seem that the Torah goes out of its way not to say what kind of tree it was, uh, and and almost in some sense implying that it was you know no kind of tree that you would recognize, right? So you know, saying that it's a tree of life and a tree of knowledge, and and not you know and not like whatever a fig tree that that people knew as the tree of knowledge or we call the tree or something like that. Right, um, but it, so you know, it, it, the, I think a simple read of the Torah is that um, is that these trees were unique. You know, they were they were they were one of a kind, um, and they were uh, they had special properties uh, or special qualities in some way that that made them you know a tree of life or a tree of knowledge. Um, you know what those properties were. It's hard to hard to say. Um, you know why it is that the tree of knowledge, I mean, the tree of life is actually only really mentioned once. Um, uh, and then we sort of sp- spend most of the focus on the tree of knowledge. The only other time the tree of life is mentioned, if memory serves, is after the um, Adam and Eve are banished from the garden uh, and uh, God uh, sends a, uh, uh, an angel of some sort. Hey, Joe. Uh, God sends an angel of some sort uh, Sarah for a cherub or something like that to uh, to guard the entrance of the Garden of Eden um, and uh, specifically to guard access to the Tree of Life. Um, but otherwise, the focus of the story is, is almost entirely on the Tree of Knowledge. Uh, and you know, we spent a little bit of time uh, last week and previous weeks talking about you know why it is that the Tree of Knowledge is singled out um, uh, as forbidden. Uh, what you know? What God's concern is? You know, what's the nature of the prohibition on eating from the tree of knowledge? Uh, what's the rationale for the prohibition? There you go. Uh, uh, feel free to feel, feel free to, to take the lachaim. Um, uh, so you know, we leave it as kind of an open question worthy of of discussion. Um, and we can bring into the mix, you know, the, the things that God, you know, what God says about it is that, you know, so first of all, only commands Adam about eating the tree of knowledge. Uh, we talked a little bit last time about, well, you know, maybe in some readings of the text, maybe Eve was there too already. Uh, uh, according to chapter two, uh, Eve hadn't, the woman had been created as a separate entity. Um, so it's possible that if you read chapter one and chapter two as a unity, of Genesis, uh, then, uh, then, you know, the first human is, uh, is, is androgynous or, or like a Siamese twin or like a, you know, two headed creature or something like that. Um, and, um, and then, and then the story of splitting, you know, taking the rib from Adam, maybe splitting Adam is a story of separating those two entities. So arguably you could say that God, when God gave the prohibition on eating from the tree of knowledge, God gave it to both Adam and Eve. But I think a simple reading of chapter two would suggest that God only gives the command not to eat from the tree to, to Adam. Um, presumably uh, because uh, so in, in the next chapter, when we are introduced to the serpent who, you know, who Eve encounters and says, you know, you should eat this fruit from this tree. And Eve says, you know, God has told us not to eat the fruit from the tree. Um, uh, it seems that she knows of the prohibition. So, you know, so presumably somewhere off camera, Adam had told her the prohibition um, or, 
maybe she was there, you know, in that other kind of reading, um, and she learned of it. Um, but anyway, the, the only thing that God says about the tree is that, that, you know, when you eat of it, you will die. Um, and then, uh, and then also there's a, a passage that says, you know, because if they eat from the tree, they will be like the divine beings who know good and evil. Okay. So again, you know, we spent some time, we've spent some time over, you know, periodically talking about, you know, what, what is the nature of the knowledge that the tree of knowledge imparts? Why is God concerned about that kind of knowledge? Why does God prohibit eating from the tree? So I think all of these are, are questions at play um, when the rabbis tried to identify the, the nature of the tree. Um, uh, you know, so they, they get kind of caught up in this question of, you know, what kind of tree it was, even though the Torah seems to go out of its way to not tell us what kind of tree it was. Um, all right, so we are on page 6-1, uh, um, Cantor, uh, which is uh, chapter 15 of Genesis Rabbah, uh, Midrash number 7, in the second column of that page. Um, anybody feeling moved to read? Starting with the Midrash Presents. Yeah, Harry? The, the Midrash presents three more opinions regarding the identity of the tree from which Adam and Eve ate. The second, Rabbi Yehuda... So just pause for one second. The first, what, anybody remember what the first was? Wheat. Wheat, exactly, good. Uh, so the, go ahead. <laughs> uh, what? That's a thing that came up at... Yeah, yeah, it came up last night. Right. So, uh, right. The first opinion, uh, which I think was Rabbi Mayer, if memory serves, I can go back and look, um, is that the tree of knowledge was wheat. The obvious objection that the, that the rabbis give to that opinion is... Wheat is not a tree. Right. Exactly. Good. Um, so, um, uh, so the, the, the resolution, anybody remember what the resolution was to that? Tall. It was a big tree. I mean, it was a big stalk of wheat. A very big stalk of wheat. It was like a tree. Okay. Um, okay, so here we go. We have more We have more opinions. Rabbi Yehuda Bari. Eli. Eli said uh, they were grapes from the grapevine that Adam and Eve ate. As it states, their grapes are grapes of gall. <laughs> clusters of bitterness were given to them. The verse intimates that those clusters of grapes brought bitterness to the world. Okay. Okay, so um, one opinion, and a second opinion, right? First opinion, tree of knowledge is wheat. Second opinion, tree of knowledge are, is is a grapevine. Uh, go ahead. No one's guessing a tree. We're guessing everything but a tree. Amazing, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that that hints to the, to the, the notion that the rabbis are, you know, uh, Catching on to the fact that, like that, that this is no normal tree, you know. So, uh, so possibly, maybe they're drinking. Um, <laughs> um, possibly, uh, you know. So possibly, what they're trying to argue is, you know, if it were a normal tree, the Torah would have said that it was a particular kind of tree. And the fact that it says that it's this unique country, kind of maybe it wasn't really a tree at all. I don't know. Um, but yeah, now I think that you know what you know. The the. Um, the fact that grapes or grapevine um, is an option that's offered here is, I think, kind of interesting, given how prevalent grapes feature in to rabbinic Jewish practices. Um, you know, so so you know, what does it say, or what you know, like if you if if every time you say kiddush on Friday night, right? Four times at the Seder, you drink you drink wine. Um, that you are in some ways hearkening back to eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge. I wonder what kind of um, meaning, layer of meaning that provides to that to those rituals. Two cups of wine at the wet at a wedding. Bris. And every single time, what we're doing is we're we're echoing what Adam and Eve ate in the Garden of Eden, which they weren't supposed to. And in some cases, should, people shouldn't be eating or having it today. It turns it into wine. Right. True. Right. 
Now, what, what I thought you were going to say there, Nancy, is that uh, there is, in, according to the Torah, a, um, a, a certain uh, class of person um, or a certain kind of vow an individual can take on um, that... What? Nazarite. Right, good. A Nazarite vow. So that, that perhaps, you know, if you kind of like plug this into that text, right, that might explain why it is, you know, why, why a Nazarite uniquely... Um, it prohi- is prohibited from uh, from from drinking wine or or consuming. Uh, I think it's consuming all grape products um, because there's, you know something about doing it that distances you uh, from from closeness to God. Um, Excuse me. What is the source you're speaking? Yeah. So the Book of Numbers, uh, chapter I want to say six or seven, something like that. Um, Talks about um, something called a Nazir or a Nazirite. Yeah. Um, in English, usually N A Z I R I T E. Um, and a Nazirite is somebody who, either as an adult, uh, uh, takes a vow of um, sort of like. Um, Sort of like a monastic vow in some ways, right? That you you swear off uh, cutting your hair and um, uh, 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 consuming pro- things made from grapes, including wine um, and I think other intoxicants. Um, and uh, and you can do this for a period of uh, usually it was a thirty day vow. Um, and you could also uh, pledge to you could you could consecrate your child. Uh, to be a Nazarite for life, um, which was the case of uh, Samson, uh, seemingly, in, in the book of Judges. Um, Samuel also um, was dedicated to God. It's not clear, not as clear for Samuel um, whether he's becoming a Nazarite, but for Samson it's a little bit more clear because of the hair thing. Right? Um, uh, you know, numbers doesn't really talk about getting like special powers because of your hair, right? Mm-hmm. Which is what seems to be the case for Samson. Um, but uh, but the but the Haft Torah that we read for the parsha, I think it's Naso, uh, where we read about the um, Nazarite is is from the Book of Judges, the story of Samson. Okay, all right. Any other thoughts about this? About the about the grapes being the fruit of the tree of knowledge. So we got huge wheat. And we got sour grapes. Sour grapes. <laughs> can't eat wheat. And you can't eat grapes. Right. It, now, it, I mean, it's, we said this about wheat too. It's, you know, it's telling that um, wheat also is a very prominent uh, ingredient in in ritual foods, right? Matzah, challah, um, you know, the, the you know the, we have a the, the we, uh, we actually they get into a digression if you remember on uh, on the blessing over bread, which is the sort of core uh, blessing before meals. It's what we 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 presume rabbinically at least that it's not a real meal unless it has uh, unless it has bread. So we have. The first two opinions are these two kind of like staple human crops, um, you know, these these staple Jewish crops. Uh, um, uh, so it's it's curious that these are the ones that specifically the rabbis go to first to say that these are the um, this is what the tree of knowledge was. So the third opinion is Rabbi Abba of Akko said it was from an escrow tree. That Adam and Eve ate. It is this that was is written in connection with the tree of knowledge. And the woman perceived that the tree was good for eating. You have said in this verse that the tree itself was good for eating. Go out and see which tree it is whose wood is eaten like its fruit, and you will find only the escrow. I'm gonna have to take them at their word for it. Uh, I've never done it, um, um, but I would say that. Uh, um, uh, so, you know, the the so the the midrashic move here, right, is that um, is that the woman sees kitov ha'etz, right, that the tree was good, right, and apparently there's you know some kind of like popular 
legend or common knowledge in, in rabbinic times um, that you know that, that nobody says that a tree is tov, right? Except for talking about an etrog tree, um, and, and 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 not only that. And actually, we mentioned this before, right? And when, when the um, uh, the the initial verse that introduces the tree of knowledge, it says, and the tree of life, it says. Um, Kol eitz nechmad Right, all all uh, all trees that were pleasant to look at and good for eating. Right? And I mentioned when we first looked at that verse that it's a kind of curious phrasing because who actually eats trees, um, right? So you know, a, 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 the the contextual reading of that I think is that you know the fruit of those trees was good for eating, but the but the literal translation of it is that the trees were good for eating. Um, so here I think it's picking up on that uh, on that idea as a kitov ha'etz, the tree was good, right? And it's kind of having a literal read of that passage that says, you know, not just that the fruit of the tree was good, but that the actual tree was good. You could take a bite of the of the tree. Now there's another uh, which is, you know, kind of surprising they didn't go in this direction, um, but does anybody know what the what an etrog tree is called uh, elsewhere in the Torah? Like where you know, where we get an etrog tree? Like where that comes from? In the book of Leviticus and I think in Deuteronomy as well. Like the name of it? Or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the word etrog, as far as I know, is not mentioned <coughs> in the Torah. Um, uh, it's called pre-Eitz Hadar. Eitz Hadar. Uh, so like a, a glorious tree or, or a beautiful tree. Uh, and so it's rabbinic interprets Midrash that says that Priyat Hadar is talking about an etro, a citron. Um, and so I would have thought that they would go in that direction, just as sort of like an inside baseball, you know, Midrashic uh, move. Um, they say like, you know, we, we commonly identify this tree as a beautiful tree. And so it makes sense that like when, you know, it talks about this tree being a, a, a pleasant tree, a beautiful tree or whatever, right. That, um, uh, that we would be talking about an etro tree. So my initial reaction is that like, you know, not only is this a good midrash because it actually is talking about a tree, uh, which is, you know, contrary to the other midrashes, but, uh, midrashim, but, uh, but it's also, um, uh, you know, is connected to the kind of internal logic of, of rabbinic tradition, right? That, uh, that, uh, the, you know, this kind of beautiful tree with a beautiful fruit, um, would be the tree that they're talking about here. What did you call it as the alternative? The, the phrase in, um, the phrase in Hebrew for a natural tree or the phrase in Torah for a natural tree is, uh, Eitz Hadar. H-A-D-A-R. So is an is an asteroid tree look like a tree that we know here? Because the thing is, is it you know they're guessing all these different types of trees and can't really land on one. And you know, I was thinking to myself because they don't have like big glorious oak trees over there. I mean, I know that we talk about like the cedars of, of Lebanon, but yeah. like you have to think that imagine that they don't have grand forests like we may know. So is an asteroid tree like a tree we would would we recognize it as a tree or like a is it like yeah, it's, 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 it looks like a citrus tree. I mean, it's like, you know, like a lemon tree. Okay, so it's um, tree-like. Yeah, it's definitely tree-like. And, you know, I, I think they, I mean, first of all, you know, it's uh, Rabbi Abba of Akko clearly lives, uh, presumably lives in, in, in Akko in, in the north of Israel. But there, there are forests there. There are real forests there. Oh, okay. Um, the north of, I mean, Akko is, is close to Lebanon. So, um, so you know, it wouldn't be surprising for them to, you know, to, to know of, the, that kind of, you know, that kind of strong tree. We've all, we've already, I don't remember if you were here the times when we talked about this, but um, there were, there were one of the Midrashim that we saw around the gar- the Garden of Eden altogether is that, um, is that the, that it was populated by cedar trees. Um, that the, that the plants that it's talking about that made up the garden were, were cedar trees. Um, but yeah, the, 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 a natural tree would, would look like a tree. Yeah. And was it the case that the, until the Ottoman Empire came along, there weren't big trees in the Middle East, and the Ottoman uh, whoever was running the Ottoman Empire decreed that all big trees were taken down, so enemies can't hide behind them. Oh, interesting! I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, the, yeah, right. I mean, there, there. You know, pe- 
probably not only the Ottomans, uh, probably maybe the Ottomans for that reason, but my guess is uh, also, you know, the, the Romans probably had pretty um, exploitative, you know, deforestation. Um, and most of it was, yeah, you're right, most of it was deforested yeah. in ancient times with ships. Yeah. Phoenicians come right. from that area, and they were sea bearers. Right. Um, yeah, so we, you know, it wasn't until the, uh, um, the, the you know, early the 20th century Zionists um, immigrating to uh, the land of Israel that they, that they begin to, you know, reforest right. uh, the land. Right. Yeah. Um, but, it, but uh, um, yeah, so, you know, it's, uh, every, the, the, the rabbis here who are raising these opinions are all, um, I believe, uh, Tanaim. So they are all uh, living in... Um, under Roman occupation of, uh, of, of Judea. So that's the context of, of most of these. Um, certainly Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yehuda Bar Eli for sure, Rabbi Abba Vako, I, I don't know him so well, um, but my guess is because he's sort of like included in this conversation that that's the time period we're talking about. Um, okay, so we have uh, wheat, we have grapes, we have an etro, and another opinion. Want to keep reading here? Yeah. Yes, they do. I mean, it is a spur. does grow on a tree, but it is kind of a teeny little tree. It's not a gnarled, almost like olive trees are. Yeah. Yeah. It's better than a stalk of wheat. Or a grapevine, right? Yeah, right. Okay. And I, I'm gonna have to take. Uh, so I'm gonna have to take uh, his word for it that you can actually like, like you know, go and take a bite of the bark of the of an etro tree. I never tried it. Uh, maybe now I will. Well, at the bottom of, of that page, there's a the back wood-like fruit, and he's talking about what part of the escrow fruit you eat. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. I see part of it is cut off. So yeah. Ryan, but not not the pulp. Uh-huh. Okay. I'm also going to have to take his word on that, because I... I, I it would be the reverse, but I, I don't know. I'm not sure the rind of an etrog is any better, but yeah, so let's, let's read what the insight says. Let's read what it says. So, um... So, um... The Midrash's statement seems puzzling. Do people really eat the wood of an etrog tree like it's fruit? There's a parallel statement in the Brita, uh, which is cited in uh, the Talmud in Sukkah 35a. Uh, which describes the etrog tree as eitz shetam eitzo upirio shavet, a tree whose wood and fruit taste alike. Um, which I guess doesn't necessarily mean that its wood tastes good. Tastes bad. Yeah. Have you ever tried an etrog? I never have. I heard it's pretty bad. Though. I mean, it's, you know, it's like, I mean, it's like a lemon. It's like, you know. What? You do, but, but I had a Talmud teacher's head, like, you know, anything that requires that much sugar to become edible was probably not designed to be eaten. Yeah. Um, uh, Kaput Marim there explains that unlike other fruits such as the lemon, which have thin rinds and consist mainly of fruity pulp, the majority of the volume of an etrog is taken up by its white inner rind. This thick rind is the part of the etrog that is eaten, as the pulp at the core is not significant. The rind, which in the case of the etrog is the main part of the fruit, has a bitter taste that is similar to that of the tree itself. The bitter rind of a lemon also tastes like its tree, but in the case of a le- is that a true? Oh, okay, uh, I'm gonna. I guess they tasted a lemon tree, um, but in the case of a lemon, it is the tangy pulp that is considered the fruit. Chatam uh, Sofer strongly endorses this explanation and writes regarding it: "They are the words of the living God." In accordance with this explanation of the Kapot Tamarim regarding the nature of the etrog fruit. Perhaps we can explain the language of our midrash that the etrog tree is one uh, whose wood is eaten like its fruit to mean that the woody part of the fruit, the thick rind, is eaten as its fruit. That is, the main fruit of the etrog is its thick rind, which is indeed part of the etrog tree that you bleed. Now, that, uh, remember I keep on saying that, you know, I think that the, that the mark of a good midrash is that you can kind of plug it back into the text. That strikes me as, you know, uh, you could plug all this back into the text. You know, presumably when Eve eats it, she, you know, if it's an etro, she's like taking a bite out of it. Uh, so she's eating the it rind first, right? And that's what she eats of the tree. Um, you know, but then it says that like she discovered that like it was good to eat. 
Um, that doesn't right. seem like the discovery that you would have from <laughs> eating an oak tree. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, we have a protein in uh, America. Uh-huh. We call it pomelo. Pomelo, yeah. It's like a small. So, it's like a grapefruit one. Yeah. Yeah, but sometimes the the, um, the peel is kind of bitter, but then you take, you remove it. <coughs> the white part is sweet, and you go deeper, it gets sour. Very the sour. white part is sweet of a yeah, pomelo, okay. really. Because I mean, it's kind of thick, so you can. Uh-huh. But then you go deeper, it gets, you know, it's very kind of sour, yeah. like a lemon. Yeah. And it smells very nice. Yeah. The flowers are very nice. <laughs> so I also, I also learned about that, that, um, uh, that uh, there, are, there are three or four um, etymolo- uh, 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 biologically original citron fruits. One is a pomelo and one is an etro. Um, I can't remember what the other one is. Uh, but you know, you usually think of like an etrog as a weird lemon, but the but the opposite is true. A lemon is a weird etrog. Um, so, so the, again, you have this. You know, uh, you know, if we're talking about like primordial people, um, you know, the, the, if they were going to encounter a citrus fruit, it would have been an, an etrog. Even the flowers smell very nice. Flowers are very, yeah, very, smell nice. Mm. Uh, you know, what I was thinking, but you know, uh, the rectum. Right. So, so yeah. So, the, the, <laughs> no, so it's, it's it's interesting that the, the that when when wheat is brought up, uh, it's challenged, but uh, grapevine is not challenged. Um, and you no know one says, but it says that it's a tree. Um, and so, but what I would say about that is that um, uh, in the rabbinic consciousness, a grapevine is more like a tree than wheat. Um, wheat is is like a, is clearly like a grass, whereas a grapevine, because it produces fruit, um, and then um, and then you know, uh, and then it goes from year to year. That it's much more like a fruit tree than it is like a, like a plant growing from the ground. That's sort of the dividing line, which is why you know. Um, when, when kids learn ble- blessings and you know in, uh, in day school or in Hebrew school, they they are surprised to learn that uh, that uh, that the blessing for a banana, which is you know, you learn fruit, is usually bre priha eights, but a banana is bre priha adama uh, because a banana plant um, uh, 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 you know has to be harvested. It doesn't. It's not like a tree that you harvest the fruit and then it grows new fruit in the next season. Um, but a grapevine is more like a fruit tree in that way. Because the blessing for grapes is hiates, correct? For just eating grapes is is hiates, yeah. Um, but like wine and grapes, just still like a super very gotha. Right. Um, I just think everybody was short, so like what was accessible was the beans, the grapevines, and the small tree. <laughs> <laughs> Sent by Moses to you know to survey the land. Yeah, they came up with these big clusters. Oh, right. They were grapes. Huge. Yeah, right. everything was big then. I think I guess because they said they, they, they had to carry the, more than a few four guys. They had to carry the whole cluster. Well, it's not necessarily that everything was big then. It's that it, actually the, the point of that story is that the, the the produce in the land, like the people in the land, according to the spies, are uniquely big. Right, uh, that it was strangely big in the land of Israel. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it, 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 that, that could be, you know, um, I'm sure they brought back clusters of grapes. I'm trying to remember what other things they brought back. Hmm? They brought back other things. But what, what I love about that is uh, the uh, symbol of the, uh, the like, logo of the tourism ministry in Israel today is uh, are like two guys carrying a big cluster of grapes. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. What? Schlach, right? Schlach, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, the, Harry, you want to keep going? Opinion number four. Rabbi Yossi said they were figs from the fig tree that Adam and Eve ate. This is the matter derived from its context. Yeah, but just want to pause it for a second. I keep on referring to various um, uh, principles of, of rabbinic interpretation of the Torah. 
Um, uh, you know, so the, the one we most commonly come upon is called a Gezerah Shava, which means that I'm going to un- try to understand uh, the meaning of a word in one context from how, from how it's used in another context, right? And that's, that's very common in Midrash. Um, but this is, um, uh, this is another one. This is another principle of interpretation. Davar lamed mi'inyano. Meaning that the way I can understand something is I just try to like understand the context that it's coming from, right? Um, uh, which is actually a pretty simple way of, of interpretation. Not always the way that the rabbis used to interpret a biblical passage, but it's one, uh, actually you find it in the prayer book, um, the most famous of these principles, uh, set of principles, um, is uh, from Rabbi Yishmael, um, the Tanadim rabbi, and he lists out uh, 12, 13, I remember, 12 or 13, uh, 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 midrashic principle, interpretive principles, so this is, this is one of them, Davar Halamed Mi'inyano, a matter derived from context. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Was it actually before? Because it's gonna, it's gonna kind of go off here. Um, so what's 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 the context? Why would this be? Why would why would you think just reading the Garden of Eden story that it would have been a fig tree? What are you talking about? Things that grow in a, a plant. Good. So that's true, right? And actually, if you go uh, to, like, um, Tel Don is a really good example of this in, in Israel, um, in the north of the country. It's, you know, it, it really like feels like the Garden of Eden there. It's, like, very lush, very forested, um, and fig trees grow, grow wild there, right? So, um, so you might think because of that, why else? It makes it smell nice. The fig trees have a nice perfume. Why else? Okay, good, right? So it's, it's got fruit, okay? But how is the fig tree different from the other things that we've talked about? Like, how is this uniquely, uh, um, uh, 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 how does this uniquely match the context as, all, as opposed to, like, grapes? tree, not a vine. Good. The, the fruit is 100% edible. Good, right? Uh, the, right they enjoy the fruits, right? Yeah. And it's not too big. I mean, you don't say tree that you can reach. You can reach the fruit. Yeah. Right. Good. Right. It's accessible. Yeah, good. Um, and there's yeah. They're kind of they're kind of big and tree like. They're kind of grand looking. So if you think about this like special tree, maybe a fig tree looks more special than like you said, like Sunni. Right. Yeah. It's a nice looking tree. It's it's a grand looking tree. Um, big leaves. The leaves are actually really important because after they eat of the tree. Um, uh, what happens to them? They have to wear clothes. They get embarrassed. Yeah, they get embarrassed. So what do they do? They put on. They put on fig leaves. They put on fig leaves. That's mentioned in the text. Of fig yeah. Mm-hmm. The, he'll quote it in a minute. Um, uh, the midrash will quote it in in, in a minute. Um, it's uh, Genesis three seven. Three seven. Uh huh. They realized that they were naked, and they sewed together a fig leaf and made themselves aprons. So they really know how to sew. <laughs> Apparently. And I, I'm not sure how you sew. <laughs> <so, laughs> <laughs> 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 there are apparently intuitive things that uh, that that humans just naturally know. One of them is sewing. Um, I, I have apparently did not inherit that skill. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's that's one of the things that they they do. They they sew together a fig leaf. Okay. Um, okay. So okay. Um, so from context. Okay. So how? So what is this analogous to? All right. We'll jump in there. For it is analogous to the case of a prince who acted corruptly with one of the maidservants in the royal household. We have a royal household. When the king heard about it, he drove out his son and expelled him from the palace. And so the prince went around to the doorways of all the maidservants, looking for shelter. I just, I actually, can we just pause for a second? I, just in case it's lost, this is one of the um, features of Art Scroll. Um, it is being a little bit euphemistic here. Um, uh, acted corruptly with one of the maidservants um, uh, probably doesn't mean like bribed her. Um, it, <laughs> it, it probably means he, you know, uh, did something sexually, whether he, he just had an affair with her or, 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 
or, or, or raped her or something like that. It's hard to know exactly because the, the, the Hebrew is not, I don't want to be, I want to be fair to art scroll. Hebrew is Shekilkel im achatz min ashvachot. So Kilkel means like, um, like did, did something like, um, it's, it's like a curse word, um, with one of the, with, so like something corrupt with one of the, um, uh, maids. So it's hard to know exactly what's happening here, but my guess is that, uh, that, you know, that, that, uh, he didn't ask her to like, you know, uh, bet on horses for him or something like that. Okay. <laughs> right, so he, the king heard about it. He, he kicked, the king kicked him out of the house. Uh, and so he went knocking on doors, looking for friends, quotations, shelter. But they did not receive him. However, that maid servant who acted corruptly with him opened her door and received him. That seems to put the onus on the maid servant. Very good. Similarly, when Adam, the first man, ate from that forbidden tree, the Holy One, blessed is he, drove him out and expelled him from the Garden of Eden. And so he went around to all the trees, but they did not receive him. And what did the trees say to Adam as they rejected him? Rev Berechiah said, they said, Behold the deceiver who deceived his creator. It is this idea that is written in Psalms 36, 1. Let not the foot of arrogance come to me, meaning let not the foot that exalted itself over its creator approach me, and let not the hand of the wicked move me. It shall not take a leaf from me to cover his nakedness. All right, so everybody kind of see what, what what's happening here, what the, what the analogy is, or how they're how they're trying to um, where you know, he's trying to explain like why why I know it was a fig tree, okay, and why I know it was a fig tree is that you know just like this one story where you know a prince uh, um, you know consorted with a maidservant and the king kicked him out of his house. And uh, then he needed a place to stay, so he went knocking on all the doors of all the other maidservants, um, and uh, and the, and the and all the rest of the maidservants said, uh, "Of course you can't stay here, right?" But the maidservant that he consorted with in the first place uh, gave him a place to stay. So in you know in in like fashion, after Adam eats from the tree of. Uh, Knowledge. He goes to uh, you know all the trees in the garden and says, "Hey, um, I'm. I just realized I'm naked, and I would like to uh, borrow a leaf or two from you." Uh, and all the uh, all the other trees tell him no, right? Because you're you're a sinner. You're you you just violated God's command, and I'm not going to help you. Well, we're here. We're about to get to the fig tree's reaction, uh, but but if we follow the analogy, the, the fig tree is the maidservant who lets the prince in. The midrash now describes the fig tree's reaction, thus completing the parable's teaching. However, the fig tree of whose fruit Adam partook opened its door and received him. It is this that is written. They realized that they were naked, and they sewed together a fig leaf and made themselves aprons. And as much as there are several, right, just the, 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 hold on, the, before you go on to to that, right? So that's the that's the end. Of, thank you. That's the end of that um, that explanation. So let's just pause that. Let's just linger on that for a second. What do you guys think of this interpretation? That it was a fig tree, and it was a fig tree because. Of the basically because of the context, because he takes the leaf from the fig tree, then it kind of says it adds information that we didn't know, right? Remember, one of the functions of midrash is it kind of like fills in the the white spaces of the story, uh, and so here you have you know some like biblical fan fiction uh, where what uh, what Adam does is he goes to all the other trees um, and say, it, when he realizes he's naked uh, to ask them for covering they all say no except for the fig tree so what do you guys make of this Mitra? makes sense I like it I want to follow the analogy for a minute because I think it's an interesting one because it also 
uh, you know, no analogies are perfect, but it also points to, at least in this line of reasoning, what the rabbis uh, uh, perceive to be uh, the problem with having eaten from the tree of knowledge in the first place. So if you if you kind of connect it to the analogy, what what might the rabbis say, or these this set of rabbis say, um, is you know the what was the sin, or what was the not necessarily the sin might have been disobeying God, but what was the reason for the command in the first place? Why didn't God want um, Adam to eat from the tree of knowledge? And why was it a problem that Adam ate from the tree of knowledge? I think we were really talking about how much we Arrowheads. Arrowheads? We were talking, remember we were talking about arrowheads? I mean, um, hmm. Gosh, I mean, he used expression, what's the name? Uh, the, the, the one who used that name. Can I? Can't remember the expression in Hebrew. But he was, I think, I feel that the problem was that they, they, they are so arrowheads, they don't, they don't. Uh, oh, arrogance, arrogance, yeah. They don't accept their responsibility. Mm. And they don't even ask for, for, for forgiveness for making a mistake. Mm. Instead of that, they try to hide. Ah. And then they naturally, um, because it, see, they don't ask, and so they, God doesn't forgive them because they don't take responsibility for what they, they have done. Ah. Instead of that, they cover and they try to, to run away from him because they know they have done something wrong, but they don't have, mm. I mean, the strength or the vision to, you know, to go and ask for forgiveness. And in this case, I, I guess, uh, Apparently, uh, well, I don't know. How, I got lost. Yeah, no. So it's it's like the, you know they say about Richard Nixon, right? That the problem wasn't the crime; it was the cover up, right? So here, the same thing, almost literally. It wasn't so much the crime; it wasn't so much eating the tree. It was hiding after, right? Trying to deflect responsibility. It was it was trying to uh, to to hide the to hide the transgression. Because I mean, I think I did, and Rabbi. Kato, he was the expression in Hebrew that apparently you know couldn't find the the right the right translation into English. It sounds like somebody who's you know you made a mistake and instead of you know accepting responsibility for the mistake, knowing that you did, you try to. You mean yesterday when the day before yesterday? Brazenness is the way. Brazenness. Uh -huh. Brazenness. It was new to me in Hebrew. Right? Oh, I don't yeah, remember with a with a with pan panai 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 is like let me see it's like using that face. About it. I have to think about that. But the Hebrew phrases, but I but I hear what you're saying. But it's interesting. Like I'm not sure if this is brazen. I mean, the, the actual crime is brazen, right? But but you know, brazen to me would be uh, not hiding, right? Brazen to me would be I'm going to do this bad thing, and then when God says to me, you know, like like you know. Uh, you know, why did you do this bad thing? Brazen is because I wanted to. That's why, right? Like that's brazen. Right? But that's not what Adam does. Adam goes and, and and tries to cover up. Yes, but that very fact of covering up could be brazen. Because you think God can't find him? It's almost like the gall, like they use the word in the other example, like the gall to to think that you did this and then how dare you cover it up? I don't know if it's brazen, but it's along those lines. So listen, I'm not. I don't know. To go back to your question, I'm not sure if, if Adam knows that God does that. I'm just throwing yeah. out the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Azut panim. Azut panim. Oh, that's yeah. 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 Azut panim. Azut with an ayin. With an ayin or an aleph. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you have it. Um, right. It's in, <laughs> it's, uh, it's in the it's in the uh, list of all chetz on right, on your report. Um, so. Uh, yeah, azut panim is oz is like strength, right? So like like the like strength of face, right? It's um, um, like I ask specifically if that word would have been a synonym for pride, right. and Rabbi Kreder said no. It right. was different. It was far worse than what pride could be, because pride can also have a positive meaning. Right. Except brazenness has no positive to it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Nothing positive about. Because apparently you, you do something wrong and you are kind of proud, you are proud of doing it. Right. Done it. Right. Well, you know, in, in, in Spanish we, have, we call it soberbia. Soberbia? Soberbia. And this one, you do something and you, you, you hear like, you know, like, like Trump, excuse me, like you hear like, um, you do, you're doing something wrong but you're still kind of proud of it. 
Right. Because you have the power to do it. You feel right. that you have the right. power. Right. To do it. And you define the, you know, the authority. In this case, what right. that was the authority, but they, they just. But I think it's an that. overwhelming defiance. Right. It's defiant. Yeah. Right. Now, I, I, I want to. I want to challenge that there's no. Uh, that there's no. Uh, positive dimension to Azupanim. Uh, I, 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 I get out of the conversation one-on-one with Rabbi Creditor, um, and I, didn't, I wasn't present for that conversation, but, but the notion of, of defiance, um, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, there are moments where, where you know, so like, like Abraham is defiant of God, right? Um, yeah, but he was kind. I mean, he was yeah. Um, and some in places where he yeah. wasn't sufficiently defiant of God, you know. Um, so I, I, you know, I feel that God doesn't want you. He doesn't mind you defying him, but you have to. <laughs> but this, right? But this, but this to me, this to me, yeah, this to me, I, I, I think it's, I think it's, it's obviously arguable. But like, but, but what Adam and Eve do is not. I don't see it as brazen, right? I think that they, you know, they're they're, they're sort of tepid. I mean, at least Eve initially is tepid about committing the act, and then after they commit the act, they're embarrassed for having for having done it, right? Um, really? Because they were naked. Well, they're, they're, it's both, right? So they, you know, they, um, you know, they 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 hide their nakedness. They're embarrassed for their nakedness, but they also, you know, God asks, you know, did you, did you do this or did you do this thing? Why did you do this thing? Right? They all deflect blame. Right, a brazen person wouldn't deflect blame. A brazen person would say, "Yeah, I did it, and I'm proud of it." Right? Um, uh, yeah. Um, I think. Uh, yes, I know it has it has contemporary parallels. Um, sorry, <laughs> I interrupted you. No, 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 it's okay. Yeah. Um, I think we have to take a look at. Later ages, theologians of those times, both um, uh, rabbis and, and Christians, what was the status of man? What was the status of Adam and Eve in Eden? Were they, what was their sense of moral and ethical development? Um, it seems to me that the rabbis have taken the stand here and elsewhere that they were not, they were like children, they were infantile, that as opposed to being, we might say, in a state of righteous perfection, uh, which some would contend. Obviously, we do not know. But this, I think, by their hiding, gives credence to the rabbi's interpretation. Of being infantile. What does a little child do when he does something wrong? Sure. He yeah. tries to hide. Right. You know, he's not thinking about standing up like Abraham and, and being defiant. It takes a certain right. courage to be defiant because right. you may be shot down. Right. But they're like children and they're right. hiding from God. Right. Uh, and so I, I think what we see here is this uh, feeling that what I'll call the infantile interpretation of human beings. They're, they have a whole lot to learn. And when we say learn... That we can tie into the tree of knowledge, because obviously an infant, a two-year-old, three-year-old, whatever, knows far less than, we'll say, a 30- or 40-year-old. Right. In other words, they have to grow, and they grow in experience and learning. Uh, but here we don't have that. This is the, uh, they're like children. Um. So it's, I think I, I, there's a lot, I think, that uh, commends that uh, interpretation. Um uh, the challenge with it, which is, I don't have a good resolution to it. it, it it's just, you know, it's not really a refutation of what you're saying. It's just, you know, something troubling about the about the story is that they're they're held to extreme account for their for their for their transgression. Whereas, if you know, if, if if they were truly infantile, right in that stage of development, one would think that God would not punish them as severely as God punishes them. Unless, of course, it's not a punishment or something. You read it in a different kind of way. I think, how about the... After they, you know, they found out they, they, made, they, they, made, they made a mistake. They, they saw it. They, they did it. And, but I think, so they became aware of, you know, how, how vulnerable they were 
I mean, we're also kind of a system of you know, they were vulnerable, and you know, and, and before God, because simply, I mean, finally they found the they found the difference between them and God. God has a the power, they didn't have any power, but they, they had knowledge that they, there was a difference. Well, they didn't, they didn't have a kind of a concept. Right. So, but what's, you know, what, so I guess it's, I, I love that interpretation, um, but it's, uh, it's Trump, what's troubling about it is that that's viewed as a, as a sin, right? You would think that God would want them to have that kind of knowledge, that there's a distinction between human beings and God. Well, maybe and I, then, what's that? Maybe then, at that very moment when he told them not to eat from the fruit, I mean, he didn't want to have that knowledge, but he was going to eat to them before, uh, late, later. Mm-hmm. They were not ready for that. Ah, uh, I see. So it wasn't so much that God didn't want them to have the knowledge, it's just that God didn't want them to have the knowledge they, yet. At that time. Right, yeah. on their own terms. How many times do we correct a child as we're teaching a child, and the child seems to want to do something that he's not yet ready for? Right. And we say, no, you do it this way. And we will reprimand that child. In fact, he disobeys us and does it that way because we realize not being fully formed, it may be to his detriment, right. not to his be- de- uh, benefit. And I can apply that here too. Right, but I don't... God wants to bring them along. We don't know what God's intention is in Eden for them. But perhaps, you know, I don't have the answer. Yeah. But perhaps he wants to bring them along and they're jumping ahead when they shouldn't. Um, right, but I guess the... Ch- the, the uh, again, the, the problem I have with it is that when, you know... Uh, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't kick the kids out of the house for. Now you're shifting to the punishment. Yeah. What's the, how are we going to reprimand? Right. Are we, are we letting the punishment fit the crime? Yeah. The problem with that is we don't know what Eden was all about. <laughs> right. What was God intending? I mean, what, what, we don't know. Well, was one level perhaps. As short as it was. I'm sorry? I said, was the stay there intended to be as short as it was? It didn't last long. I believe, you correct me if I'm wrong, that the rabbis, generally speaking, expected that Adam and Eve were immortal in Eden. Seems like it. They would yeah. not die a natural death. Their death was brought about by the disobedience. Right. And then and they're, that, they're out of Eden, which Eden then apparently is meant for immortality. Right. So they were there to forever, right? Right. Presumably, this, this seems what they're what they're getting at is that uh, that that the you know that the God uh, created you know, placed Adam and and Eve in the garden, um, uh, you know, uh, to be to be humanity's um, ideal and eternal state, right? And that the and that the transgression uh, um, caused God to change plan about that. I, I, you know, this goes back to the conversations we had before. This, I think, challenge that that interpretation, which I think is actually probably not only the what the rabbis think, but but seems to be the simple interpretation of the biblical passage, um, calls into question the notion that God is omniscient, um, because an omniscient God, um, you know, uh, wouldn't be surprised at human behavior. Um, uh, but it also, um, you know, someone mentioned before, you know, that, um, uh, that, that they, you know, that they hide as if God wouldn't see them. And that I think is a presumption, um, of, of, of Greek theology imposed on the text. Um, I, there's nothing in the text at that point to suggest that they would have at least had any, any, uh, sense that God would have seen them if they were hiding, right? The, the text is, you know, actually, especially chapter 2 and chapter 3, uh, presents God in very anthropomorphic terms, right? Um, but, you know, Adam hides when he hears God walking in the garden, right? Um, it, you know, it, it, it seems to me from the text that at least from the internal logic of Adam and Eve, that, of course, if they hide, God wouldn't see them, right? That, that I think, plays to the, you know, the, the infantile... Um, uh, interpretation of this text, right? When, you know, my kids hide, they assume that I don't see them because they can't see me. Um, you know, they, they don't know that even if I can't see them, I, I know where they are, you know? Um, 
So, uh, so it, you know, it's, so it's it's possible that the that the humans just you know have a wrong assumption about about God. It's also possible that the text um, uh, 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 presumes that the reader uh, has that assumption about God too, until God says, "I see where you are," right? But when God says to Adam, "Ayeka, where are you?" I mean, you know, what, would a simple read of the text suggest that God actually knows the answer to that question? Maybe they were hiding because they knew they'd done something wrong. Just like, again, a child, you break a dish, you hide it and hope you know, your mother's never going to find it and never figure out who broke it. That never worked for me, but... I'm just saying no one ever knew that I hid all of my fish sticks in my napkins. I think. Okay. Believe me, my parents knew things that I was sure till I was in my late 30s sure that they didn't know about. Just say just saying. Um, so yeah, maybe God, just like a parent would say, you know, who broke this cup? Do you know who broke this cup, Robert David? And it was obvious they knew I broke it, and they were just hoping that I'd be man up to it and say, yes, I broke it. I think that's it. The where are you could have been a chance to man up. Right. Not that he couldn't well, see man, you, man. but it's like man and Person up, both of them up. Um, Person up. Uh, a chance to come out. I'd say, you know, instead yeah. of just, he didn't just go straight into you know, punishment mode. He said, where are you? Maybe that was like a, a moment to have a chance. Because I think, you know, the, the, the disobedience is really a violation of closeness. You know, where, because Eden seems to be a really like intimate place between man and, and God. And uh, regard, you know, he just, regardless of what is in the tree of knowledge, you know, we may never know, but it's, it's, he said, don't do it. And they did it anyways. And again, the violation of closeness, the hiding, just violates that, that relationship. So do you mean that they, Adam, he was, that very moment he was closer to Eve than to God? Uh, because he just that he no, was putting distance between himself and God. I don't know if it made him closer to Eve or not, but he said, I don't want you to see me, you know, uh, when he hid. And then, I don't know, what, when he said, where are you, did they say anything? They do. I just don't have the text in front of me. I'll pull it up. Um, but, uh, but, no, I think, listen, and, and um, uh, I, I think that that's actually a really powerful reading of the text that that what what the um, what the what the eating of the tree does, you know, in whatever way, shape, or form it does this, you know, whether it's the disobedience of the command or the result of eating from the tree, uh, but it but it what it it, it the, the the transgression is is distance from God. Where the result is distance from God, um, and it could be that you know that that the that that's what it means by you know knowledge of good and evil um, is that by eating of the tree you introduce um, and a, a um, you introduce like classifications and division, right. um, which before eating before they eat from the tree they don't have because enters um, shame enters. I found the section. Disobedience enters, distance, all those things start a, a fracture there. And, um, and that's that's why they're kicked out, uh, I think. Yeah. You know, because God goes out of his way. All this, this whole this whole creation story, all of this and all of it to his, you know, God's perfection and even above this huge gift of creation, not only do we get that, we get this really special place, this garden, where we can, you know, kick it with God, and God chooses to be anthropomorphically right, anthropomorphic. uh, like us mm-hmm. in that place, so that we can know him, and he'll, he'll walk around, like we walk around. He didn't have to do that. Um, all this he does, and only thing he asks at that point in time of humanity is just don't eat, not this tree. And we do it anyways, and so all that is just—it's kind of like you know, a little bit of a, a middle finger. Right. So, um, 
uh, let, me, let me let me just add in uh, the question. Let me just add in what you uh, what you what you asked about. Um, so God calls out to Adam and says, "Where are you?" And Adam replies, "I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid." That. Right. Then God asked, "Who told you that you were naked? Did that you goes, eat of that? Goes to knowledge. Right. Did you eat of the tree from which I had forbidden you to eat?" Man said, the woman you put at my side, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. Um, uh, and God said to the woman, what is, what is this that you have done? The woman replied, the serpent duped me, and I ate. Uh, then God said to the serpent, because you did this, more cursed shall you be. There's not really good trial here. But, um, <laughs> right. um, but, but, but God doesn't act particularly sophisticated in this story. Um, and the other, the, this is the, and that goes to the question I was going to ask is, if that is true, then why did the, why is the tree planted in the garden in the first place? That, yeah, that I don't have any answer for. I mean, that's beyond me. Because, like, <laughs> I think you people's going to follow you after. Oh, yeah, I think. So maybe, maybe it's maybe the maybe it's just it's, to set a boundary. They want to actually there to get that knowledge. You don't know how to handle it. Mm-hmm. Without falling into trouble, you know, with the Right. I mean, maybe that's the terms for behaving properly is just to not eat from that. Maybe there's nothing more. I mean, we have six hundred and thirteen rules they just now. Have no to, like, you know, try to perfect ourselves and live as high as possible. They only had one. You know, this is just the rule. This is it. I don't know why, but it was, I'm not sure. This is an idea. Maybe that's the terms of obedience in that, 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 that I am creator, you are man, and I'm mm-hmm. just asking you to not eat of this tree. So, listen, I think that, um, uh, there's there's a there's a couple of like uh, options on the table here that I want to reflect on. The the first is it could be, and I think actually that's a, a really plausible interpretation that it's not that God um, uh, forbade them from eating from the tree. It's that God was going to allow them to eat from the tree at some later point when God prepared them for eating from the tree, which God hadn't done yet. Now the problem I have with that is. God said, don't eat from the tree because you'll die if you do. God didn't say, don't eat from the tree uh, yet. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you some instructions about eating from that tree, but I want you to make sure that you don't do it before you do. That it might have been a different story. Um, the the second thing is, you know, it just, it just got me thinking about, um, uh, about um, uh, some, you know, Christian theology. You know that talks about uh, you know Jesus coming to re- you know, belief in Jesus coming to replace the law, um, and, uh, um, and and that idea that uh, you know that some argue that the law itself creates sin. The pre- you know the presence the presence of boundary is what creates sin. Um, but it seems to me that if we follow your line of reasoning, that the Torah um, is presenting exactly the opposite. Is that uh, um, is that they had, they had one law, humans violated it. So God gave them, uh, at, in the time after the time of Noah, seven laws, uh, and and people violated. So God's response to that is, give them, give them six hundred thirteen laws, uh, and see what happens. If you need that many steps as a code of behavior to act correctly, I mean, if you have one, you can't even do one. Well, I'm going to elucid- elucidate it better with seven. Well, you can't do seven, so I'm going to get really, really specific, really specific. <laughs> on how you are to behave and model behavior to the rest. Of but the you world. know, as Napoleon used to say, I mean, law was made to be broken. Napoleon used to say that. Yeah, yeah talk about brazen. Well, look where it got him. He did pretty well. <laughs> I mean, until you know, until right, until until he didn't. Right, exactly. Um, <laughs> All right. Um, this is that you know this is a, a rich text. Obviously, um, one of you know, my 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 goal in trying to study these midrashim. I, I think I mentioned to you that um, I I had set out um, to uh, write a, a series of children's books on uh, stories from the from the Torah. And I started with the creation story, and I wrote a nice little story about that. Maybe I'll publish it one day. Um, and then I got to the Garden of Eden story, and I like I couldn't figure out how to how to write the story about that because I I couldn't like 
decide like what the story was, you know? Because um, I don't think that it's inherently a story. Because you know, the easy way to go at a children's story is like, you know, this is a story about you need to obey mommy and daddy and you know whatever, right? But I don't think that that's what the story is saying, or at least not not exclusively. So I'm trying to figure out what the story is about. But I'm discovering, and, and that's why I kind of wanted to explore these midrashim on, on the on the Garden of Eden. What I'm discovering is that. I, I may not be able to find my answer to that question by studying these well, because it's a set of progressions after you did another set of progressions with the tree. I mean, you know, it's right. the same kind of thing. Block the wasp versus a bigger tree. I just think that, just like a last little piece, a sort of like a challenging the idea of the yet, maybe, is that God, when he created the world, that was perfect by the time he was done. Eden was perfect. Adam and Eve were created perfectly, why would he, as far as, like, why you can't have knowledge of good and evil is because, why, because they don't know pain, you know, they don't know shame, they don't know embarrassment, all that litany of, of things, and if, if that tree was what held good and evil, there is no good, they just are perfect at that point, there's, there's, everything is, is good by default, and that's why I think that, why would, don't eat from that because you don't know evil. Let's not. Right. And is it true? It's uh, uh, allegedly that um, Eden is still there. It's just we can't find it. And it's guarded by Cleveland. That's that. That seems to be the implication of the of the text in Genesis. Um, uh, I, I actually don't know yet. We what, keep missing it somehow. Yeah, somehow we keep missing it. <laughs> we haven't done a Google or no search for it. The Mormons say it was in Missouri. It's in Missouri. It's in Missouri. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's surprising. Um, <laughs> let's go down there. Uh, let's start. Down there. No, I mean uh, the, um, the the JPS commentary says that the uh, that that uh, that Eden is um, is is uh, quite possibly um, uh, you know was sort of like in in middle, ancient Near Eastern right. lore a, a place that was like an island off of the coast of Bahrain or something like that. Um, whether it was that or no. Although that would be a really good next Indiana Jones movie, is, like, is the search for Eden. Yeah, I'm wondering why no one has done that before. <laughs> yeah, I should write that book and just sell it to. Okay, trademark. I've recorded this. A trademark. Rather, I'm not off. 2019.